It's time once again for the Go-Giver Podcast, where we explore five timeless principles that will increase the profitability of your business and the joy in your life. Now, here's your host, the co-author of The Go-Giver, Bob Berg. Hello again, I'm Bob Berg, and we have what I hope you'll find to be an interesting and value-packed show today. Three types of advice are good advice, bad advice, and false advice. We'll look at that in our thought of the day. And in our interview segment, sales icon Mike Weinberg busts some false advice when it comes to sales and also shares with us the sales truth, which just happens to be the title of his fantastic new book. That and more on today's show. I thank you for joining us. Good advice is often priceless and when followed, very productive. Bad advice, which can often be well-intended, is typically, when followed, counterproductive. Sometimes, bad advice is such under practically any circumstances. Uh, Never floss would certainly fall into that category. Often, however, bad advice is the result of being given to the wrong person and in circumstances that aren't the correct context for this advice to work well or be good. This is why people who provide someone with advice without first totally understanding the specific needs, wants, desires, situation, background, etc. of that person, in other words, to know that their advice fits that person, often provides counsel that is dangerous. As we've discussed before in this podcast, as human beings, we all operate from our own set of beliefs based on our own experiences, and we often assume that how we see the world is basically how others do as well. So often when someone asks for advice and the person they ask doesn't have all the facts or at least enough of the facts to answer from a base of knowledge, the advice is more about the person providing it than it is about the person receiving it. That's dangerous. So there's good advice and bad advice. And then there's false advice. I define false advice as that which is based on non-facts that people think are true. It's either totally false or mainly false. One example is the famous out-of-context Morabian study that says communication is based just 7% on words, 38% on the tone of voice, and 55% on body language. Totally out of context. Which, by the way, has been a great source of frustration to Dr. Morabian himself. Unfortunately, it's been spoken and written about as fact so often it's now taken on a life of its own and the masses have accepted it as fact. Like much false advice, it's typically not given with malintent, but and again, depending upon the false advice itself, can be either meaningless or even dangerous. Today's guest, Mike Weinberg, one of today's premier sales experts, wrote a book in which the first part of his book absolutely eviscerates some of the false advice or myths that salespeople have been given over the last few years, especially as technology has become so prevalent. The remainder of the book deals in truths, not always convenient truths, but sales truths nonetheless. I have a feeling you're going to enjoy this conversation and get a lot of good advice from it. No commercial today, Mike Weinberg, right now. 
Mike Weinberg is a consultant, coach, speaker, and best-selling author with specialties in new business development and sales management. He's on a mission to simplify sales and create high-performance salespeople and sales teams. He's known for his blunt, practical approach, calling it as he sees it. He's spoken and consulted on five continents and works with companies in all industries, ranging in revenue size from a few million to billions of dollars. Mike was the number one producer in three different companies before launching his consulting practice and he's been named a top sales influencer by Forbes, OpenView Labs, and other publications. His first book, New Sales Simplified, the essential handbook for prospecting and new business development, has been a bestseller for six years. His second book, Sales Management Simplified, has been called arguably the best book that has ever been written on sales management and an unequaled blueprint for leading salespeople and building high-performance sales teams. But it's his newest book we're going to discuss right now, and it is a masterpiece. It's called Hashtag Sales Truth. And yes, there is a hashtag in front of the title. Sales Truth, debunk the myths, apply powerful principles, win more new sales. That can be found at his website, which is mikeweinberg.com. That will be in the show notes, as will a specific link to his book. You can also buy it on amazon.com or wherever else you'd like. Hey, welcome, Mike. Bob, this is beyond an honor. All I can say is thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> oh, it's a, my, my pleasure, my honor. Now, I want to explore the uh, the title and especially the the subtitle first, and then cover as much as we can in this in this conversation. And I, and I know we're not going to cover near as much as uh, as I want to because there's so much gold in this uh, in this book. The subtitle: Debunk the Myths. Apply powerful principles, win new sales. Hey, let's begin with the myths. And you and your three colleagues, all great friends of mine, Anthony and Arino, Jeb Blunt, Mike Hunter, you're all best-selling authors with your own sales teaching businesses. I call you all the Fantastic Four. Now, each of you, I've noticed over the past few years, and I especially saw this at your annual Outbound uh, event several months ago, you've been on a mission, if you will, to bust or debunk the many myths regarding how you know, selling is so much different now than it was and that what used to work simply doesn't work anymore. And you say all this is a myth. So debunk some of those for us right here. What are the major, well, actually, let me ask this way. What's not true, Mike, that so many think is true? Okay, first of all, I love the setup and I will be happy to debunk, share some myths and then debunk them. But I'm going to start by saying thank you for your your generosity. I, I always tell people I think you're the most generous guy in our business. And it was a total treat <laughs> for you. me to get to hear you speak live at Outbound. Uh, you brought such thank you. Um, presence and, and uh, experience and professionalism to what we were doing there. So thanks for participating with us this year. That, that was a, me. a total treat for me as a fanboy. So thank you. Uh, um, thank you. Uh, in terms of debunking the myths, you know, and it's interesting, you, 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 brought my friends into this, the guys I do outbound with uh, Mark and Jeb and, and Anthony. We, we're very much aligned on this. We have seen a lot of nonsense in the past several years, uh, mostly written online, specifically on LinkedIn. And, and the mantra is this, that everything in sales has changed. And if you dare try to deploy traditional methods or things that used to work, um, you're not just going to fail, but we're going to make fun of you and call you a dinosaur or uh, a Luddite. And what concerns me so greatly is that's not not only is that not true, but it it 100% contradicts what I see in my own clients, where in real companies where I consult and speak and train, 
the top producers are deploying the very same mindset approach and techniques and best practices um, that they were doing five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and they're still crushing it. Mm-hmm. So there's this myth that you have to have nouveau stuff to like be relevant today and that what used to work like the phone or traditional prospecting is now dead, moot, passe, and that you're a moron if you're not going in you know, a deep dive doing all the new stuff, whether it's uh, social selling, and I love social media and social selling, but not as a replacement for traditional methods. It's a great supplement. So right. there's exactly. a lot of myths, and there are a lot of statistics that get bantied about a lot, and um, people just take them at face value, and it, it's really hurting salespeople. Yeah. Uh, let's look at a couple of them. Okay. Well, the name of your conference was Outbound, where we think of inbound. It's all inbound. And again, we all love inbound. Don't get me wrong. That's a good part of it. But it's also outbound, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, you and I and other people that sell intellectual property for a living, consultants and authors and speakers, we put out a ton of content mm-hmm. and we really benefit from from inbound marketing, right? And having followers. So I, I we would be hypocritical to preach against that. I'm, exactly. I'm a total fan. So are you. That's why we put out content all the time. The problem is for the typical business to business salesperson, um, I, they often get distracted hearing about inbound and that outbound doesn't work today. So We've got salespeople all over the place thinking that their primary responsibility is to create and put out content. Just yesterday, the day before we're recording this, uh, there was an international, you know, I call him a faux sales expert online, quoting Gary Vaynerchuk and uh, put, put, put a little one of uh, Gary V's links, you know, to a YouTube video with all the F-bombs and super cool Gary doing his thing, telling salespeople, you need to put out 100 pieces of content a day. That's the most valuable thing you could do. And everyone's applauding this expert. Of course, that's better than the phone. But the problem is that the average salesperson isn't Gary V or Kylie Jenner. I tell that story in the book, right? It's it's the biggest farce ever perpetrated. Tell tell that one about Kylie Jenner because this one this one I thought hit it so on the head. Yeah, it's it's beyond the pale, and it shows how disingenuous some of these fake experts are. Uh, there's a guy who's actually the chief sales officer, chief sales officer of a firm that touts its founders as the foremost experts on the planet for social selling. And they're the ones that are going to help you accomplish digital sales transformation, whatever the heck that means. And this guy put up a post of himself holding up Kylie Jenner on a cover of Forbes magazine and said, listen, she didn't cold call her way to a billion dollars net worth, right? Uh, You can't tell me that social selling doesn't lead to real sales. And I look at the, so he's holding out this B-list celebrity, right? I didn't even really know who Kylie Jenner was because I'm not that cool. And I look her up. Same here. (laughs) Yeah. So I I go look her up and you know what? Basically she does is post half naked pictures of herself on Instagram because she sells fashion products and she's an attractive celebrity from California. So that's her model. So, but this social selling expert is telling us she's the example. Like Mm -hmm. she didn't cold call her way to this big business she built. And I'm thinking, how cheap, how stupid, how desperate, like to even do that. And like, no one even questions him. Like, yeah, that's well, just, that's the thing I know they don't question. So, how, I mean, I mean, t- t- for any of my clients, defense contractor, John Deere construction equipment dealerships, consulting firms, right, uh, banking. What are other? Do you think bankers or or defense salespeople or consultants are going to take selfies of themselves and and post that on social media? And that's how that's the example of how you're going to get meetings with prospects. Like, Bob, I don't know about you, but I don't want to see you half naked. And I don't uh, No, I, I, I don't think anybody wants to see me half naked. And my clients don't want to see me. <laughs> so, so it's just the, it's the stupidity that says you need to be new and cool and trendy. And you're going to you're going to create more sales opportunities by 
putting out great content or or playing on social channels instead of using some very proven effective methods, including the phone. And that's where I get angry. And I love social. I benefit from social. I use social. I have a tribe. I have followers. I get it. But it, they can coexist and supplement each other. It's not a. It's right. not it's an, an, it's an, not an either or. Right. Exactly. And by the way, you know, credit Kylie because she's done great for what she's done and she's marketed a good way for her. It's just not duplicatable and certainly, you know, not for not for most people out there. Exactly. Uh, exactly. I, I also want to go back to what you said when they said uh, about uh, she didn't cold call her way. No, but here's the thing. And, and you and my friends like Art Subcheck, I love Art. He's just great business by phone. Uh, we've had him on the show before. And all of us, we would say, yeah, we're on the phone, but we and I, I love how you reframe this. You call them prospecting calls, not cold calls. Because it's not as though you're suggesting di just dialing for dollars with no information about someone. Instead, you're doing your diligence and you're finding out as much as you can first. You're researching. You're certainly not going in uh, cold in terms of, of information goes, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that you bring up art. I'm a big fan of art. And I joke oh. that I may have sold more copies of Smart Calling than any other expert because I'm telling everyone they need to read that book. I read I that do book. Too. It's yeah. my, I, I highlighted three quarters of it. I think art's brilliant. You know, he calls mm -hmm. it social engineering. Yeah, you're not, to, to equate what a professional business to business salesperson does when they pick up the phone to call a prospect uh, that looks like a good fit because they're a strategic account, right? That, that they have a profile that looks a whole lot like your existing clients where you bring a lot of value. To equate that to telemarketing or even cold calling is pathetic because what telemarketers do, robocalling and being fed random calls by some dialer is the opposite of what a strategic salesperson does who's picked out a very distinct subset of potential clients and calling them because they potentially have the need for the solution that this company sells. Like that's a different mindset. So of course, I don't, that's absolutely. why I don't even use the phrase cold calling because it, it creates a weird reaction in right. people. And it, it's not dirty. It's not below you. There's nothing low class about phoning or emailing or popping in on someone who not looks like a client and saying, hey, I, you you probably have some of these issues. We we tend to help people that have those. Let me share with you some of the outcomes we create. I'd love to visit with you. Can we set up a meeting? Like what's wrong with that? Nothing. Not, nothing at all. So, it, and what's good about it is it it works. And so, <laughs> uh, let let's talk about emotional stuff right here, Mike, uh, because this part will be the most controversial part of this interview. All right. And you know, all the reviews talk about this on on Amazon, but everybody everybody loves it because you did such an amazing job with it. Uh, and that is, um. And, and I'm, by the way, when I say touchy, we're, we live in touchy political times. We all we all know that, right? The, the two sides that that rather than simply disagree with one another seems to despise each other. And I'm referring both to the politicians and the voters. So that setup is to say this. Chapter four of your book is titled Seven Powerful Lessons from the 2016 U.S. Presidential Election. Now, I'm going to ask you to take us through um, all of these that you, you talked about, these lessons. But I want to point out that this is a nonpartisan view that you took of why one of the candidates won and the other one lost. And it was brilliant. And whether you voted for either of the candidates or like Mike and me both voted for neither one, 
the sales lessons contained in this chapter are phenomenal. So I'm just going to ask you if, and I hate for you to do this with a quick overview because this is worth like spending a day on, but okay. But would you take us through these? And again, if you're a listener who, who loves one of the candidates and despises the other, please just put that aside and take in these lessons. So go ahead, Mike. All right. Well, thanks for the setup. And now everybody's probably nervous and, and or ready mm-hmm. to attack, which is awesome. <laughs> so let me, let me throw a couple disclaimers out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I voted for myself in the 2016 presidential election. I wrote my own name on the ballot and took a picture uh, to prove it. So I have no, I had no dog in the race. I could not vote for either Hillary or Trump. Um, so everyone said that. And I think that both CNN and Fox are crazy and have lost their mind and don't even pretend they're impartial anymore. So so everyone, everyone take a deep breath. I, I'm not I, I have no political bias here. I wrote this chapter because it's a book on truth. And I just think there were some incredibly powerful sales lessons that came out of this election that we could all benefit and take heed from. So I'll I'll list them out real quick. And then, Bob, I'm happy to dive in any of these you'd like to go a little deeper. But there are seven lessons. Um, The first one is your messaging really matters and people act in their own interests. And and Trump's message was very different than Hillary's. Um, Lesson number two is don't take your loyal, longtime customers for granted and there I talk about the fact that Hillary literally ignored several areas in the Rust Belt that had been traditionally Democratic, specifically the state of Wisconsin, which she lost by seven-tenths of one point because she never set foot in the state once she was nominated. Um, lesson number three is that prospects and customers don't always tell you the truth. And I, and I, and I make some points there of why I think the polls were wrong and some lessons for us that we need to do great discovery when we're, we're selling, because mm-hmm. sometimes the surface answer isn't really what's going on. Uh, lesson number four is about deals not being won at the big presentation in the boardroom. And I make the analogy that uh, the Democratic convention is always better than the Republican convention, and never was that more true than in 2016, where Hillary put on a flawless, classy, well-produced, glitzy, show for four days and the republican thing was a circus because of trump's inability to deal with details and all the um the infighting between the candidates even at the end ted cruz didn't even endorse him he challenged people to vote against him so all of that you know was proof that uh the boardroom isn't where you win you win before and after the boardroom uh so that was a very big lesson it's my favorite one um number five don't make false promises and call your product something that you can't and I, I talked about uh, the ACA and Obamacare, and I, it's a very personal section for me because I spent two years on Obamacare paying an obscene amount of money for something that was neither good nor affordable. And I reminded people what the promises that were made about that solution that came to be very false. And I think that definitely hurt uh, the Democratic side in the, in the election. Uh, number six, trashing your competitors' supporters is going to haunt you. And that's where I, I talk about the implications of Hillary calling half of Trump's supporters uh, a basket of deplorables and that there was no taking that back once it came out. And it's one thing to trash your competitor. It's a totally different thing to trash the people that support your competitor. And mm-hmm. I think that was probably <clears throat> the death blow of her campaign. And then the last one is kind of just cheeky. I said, don't count your chickens before they hatch or pre-celebrate your victory. And I've seen salespeople that, you know, literally uh, light the, the celebration cigar when they think they want a deal and then they end up losing it at the last minute. And uh, there was a news story that came out the week of the election about the very large fireworks display on the Hudson River that 
Hillary had planned and it kind of blew up on her, you know, figuratively. Uh, and and it, it upset some people that she was out there pre-celebrating before the victory. And obviously there was no celebration because she lost to the surprise yeah. of everybody. So those lessons, um, I did my best to take the emotion out of it. And so people wouldn't freak out because mm-hmm. our, our country is so divided right now. And even overseas people, you know, it's everyone, this president, whether you like him or hate him, um, is very, uh, polarizing and, and so is Hillary, frankly. So there's no middle ground and people don't want to have a civil conversation about issues, but I felt like these seven lessons were just spot on and mm-hmm. I've been carrying them around for two years and I just, this was the place to share them. So thanks for asking about it. No, my pleasure. And you did a great job with it. And, um, there was, uh, there's so much we could actually take apart here within these seven. I'm going to let it go as it is and just have people read these, you know, when you get the book and, and go through how Mike so expertly tied these into the sales process. Uh, because really uh, we've all seen salespeople and we've done these kind of things. Uh, hopefully not all seven, but, but I'm sure a few of them where we learn lessons very much the hard way. And, uh, and if you, if you don't heed these seven lessons, uh, you know, you're going to, you're going to lose sales that you could have had and, and not serve the people who you, you could have potentially served. Very, very important. It was a, it was really a spectacular, uh, thank you. I, you know, I was nervous about this, but I, I'm sure you were, (laughs) I, I, I ran it by friends on both sides of the aisle and I got a lot of thumbs up and the publisher wanted to take this chapter out after I wrote the book. Mm. And I had a fight to keep it, and they finally relented. And that's why I put that little author's note in the beginning of the chapter, making mm-hmm. it exceedingly clear that yep. this is not a comprehensive list. And I realized there were other factors, but these are just good lessons. I mean, that chapter alone, if you took the politics out, there's just some really solid sales coaching oh, about how to win a deal, yep. how to keep a customer, how to tell your story, how not to count on the boardroom, how not to celebrate too early. Those are just good practices. Oh, gosh. So, well, I said, I think I said, it, I may have said in my Amazon review that if you just read that chapter, that's about all you need to to pretty much mm. master sales. So that's, yeah, uh, that, that was a great one. Um, you talk about in the book, apply powerful principles, and you do this with lots of great examples. Um one of the things you talk about, I, I think this was so important, that the reason most salespeople or sales teams are not bringing in new business at the desired rate is because they spend so little time focusing on bringing in new business, focusing on the right activity. So why is that? And, and yeah. how does this play out? First, can you believe I get paid to tell people that? I mean, that talk I about <laughs> like, you don't need an MBA or to be a like, you know, McKinsey consultant. The, the number one issue I see in companies, and I honestly can't believe I have to tell people this, you don't have more new sales because your people don't spend time working on it. They're either over-serving or babysitting favorite customers, or they're doing good corporate citizen crap, flipping burgers at the July 4th barbecue or sitting on some committee, right? Or they're, or they're playing customer service fire extinguisher, you know, like they're... They're, they're working, but they're not working on, on growable accounts or strategic prospects. They're not doing outbound. They're not being proactive. And it's crazy. But I, the biggest sales lift I'm seeing in companies where I work for the long term is when we extricate the salespeople from non-revenue creating activities. And I, I there's three sales verbs. And we should be living by these three verbs. The job of a salesperson is to create, advance, and close sales opportunities. And the percent of time that most salespeople spend doing those three things, 
is pathetically low. And that's why we don't have more sales. It's it's that's the sales truth. It's simple and it's not sexy, but it's about discipline and calendar management and focus and getting unaddicted to your smartphone and stop telling every customer to call you with their every need when there are other people in your company that can do the service work. Our job in sales is to create opportunities and to grow revenue. And if we're not doing that, we're not going to bring in more business. All right. And you're certainly not saying, and you made the point in the in in the book. Uh, that you're not saying don't serve your co- service your customers. Of course, when you talked about overserving, you were saying you know don't don't use that as an excuse to to not go out and create new business. And that's what well, most salespeople do, especially right. the highly relational ones who love to care for clients. And I get that, and they're good yeah, at retention sure. and mm-hmm. service and technical things, but they use that as a very convenient excuse not to do the hard work of going to see their jerk customer where they have like 10% of the business, but should have 50% huh. or they don't go see the non-customer because that's that's hard work, right? So mm-hmm. that's what happens in it. The, the results are awful. I mean, it, that's why the pipeline's not full because they're not working on new opportunities. Let's talk about um, a success story and a non-success story. I, I always love these because, you know, being in sales, I mean, I'm, a, I'm one of these people, everything to me is a sales lesson when I go out anywhere. And I think you and I, and most of us who just love sales, we, we do see things that way. Uh, so you, you, uh, two different car salespeople, you didn't buy from one, one you did buy from why and why? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's funny. I only mentioned that the guy I didn't buy from in passing. Um, cause I went, I went into a dealership. Uh, this was an Audi dealership a couple of years ago and I was, I, I have kids and I had kids in three universities spread across the Midwest and, knew I would be taking a ton of long road trips and I wanted a quiet interior of the car. And I sat down in a car in the showroom and this young salesperson sat down next to me without asking any questions, immediately launched into some pitch about all the technology in this car and the virtual cockpit. And, and he went on for like 10 minutes. And when he was done, I said, thank you. And I got out of the car and I left. He had no idea why I was there or what I was doing. I was like, that was the ultimate example of premature presentation and product feature dump with no relevance because he was told to do a demo of technology, not to understand what a customer wanted. Right. And you, and you contrast that. And I don't do much B to C sales coaching, but so it's so interesting. I have these stories about these, you know, auto salespeople. Well, there's a guy, his name is Tom that works at my local Volvo dealership. He's the number one guy in North America. I mean, he sold 490 cars last year. Uh, for those of you that know the car business, that's an obscene amount. So he's number one. People in Sweden know his name. I mean, he's he's the best there ever was. Only guy on this planet. He's I, I'm waiting for my third Volvo to come in. Uh, like only guy on this planet to sell me more than one car. And he's just unbelievable. And I put in in this chapter. It's chapter 15. I highlight Tom, and I highlight another guy named Ron, who's in the financial services world, sells financial services and 401k plans to the biggest companies in America. Truly, the very biggest companies, Fortune 100, and he works for one of the large financial management companies. And uh, I profile the two of them. And my hope is, Bob, as people read about them, that they're strangely encouraged because the message I wanted to get across as I look at these two top producers, by the way, who neither are my client. So I take no credit for Mm -hmm. their success and their best practices. I'm just Mm -hmm. profiling and observing them. I don't coach them. Mm -hmm. Um, They're completely different personalities, different styles, different businesses. But when you look at what they do, and I, I unpacked it as deeply as I could in that long chapter, Um, nothing they do is special. Uh, they don't have shortcuts. They don't have hacks. 
They don't talk about sales tools. What, what those guys have in common is they work their ass off. They know their business. They know their customers. They prepare backstage and practice like crazy so that when they're front stage, they're ready to go toe to toe with a client. They ask brilliant questions, run really smart sales calls. Um, they outwork their competitors and they're likable and they make sales personal. Um, and and what, what I want salespeople to take away from that is that you can emulate what these two very high producers do, one in B2B financial services and one in B2C auto sales, because it's, it's about ethic and discipline and integrity and prep and knowledge. And none of that, you know, there's no corner on the market on those things, right? There's no sales tool you need. One of the things that drives me crazy is everyone's got FOMO and everyone's online looking for today's new sales trick. And I'm like, I'll just be as direct as I can. I've never seen a salesperson or a sales team struggle because they lack some newly invented tool or process. The people who crush it have mastered the basics. And that's the message I'm hoping people get from Sales Truth. Mike Weinberg is author of the new smash hit, Sales Truth, Debunk the Myths, Apply Powerful Principles, Win More Sales. Visit MikeWeinberg.com, which will be in the show notes, as will a direct link to his book. If you're, hey, if you're having a sales conference or convention, bring Mike in. I've seen him on stage. He is fantastic. Uh, but really, if you or anyone you know and care about is in sales, and certainly if you're a sales manager, sales leader, your entire sales team needs to get this book. It's an absolute, absolute must. Mike, thank you. Wishing you much continued success. Bob, you are the best. Thanks for the opportunity to visit with your listeners. Main takeaway I received from Mike is that when it comes right down to it, selling, like everything else in terms of success, is about mastering the fundamentals. And that takes understanding, commitment, and work. What did Mike say that either surprised you or simply made intuitive sense to you that you've found to be true based on your own experience? Please feel welcome to write to me at bob at berg.com and let me know. All of John David Mann's and my books in the Go-Giver series can be found at thegogiver.com where you can download chapters one and two or just click on the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and provide a review on iTunes. Visit thegogiver.com slash reviews. I enjoy reading every review, and your review will also help others to much more easily find this show. That's all for today. The Go-Giver podcast is brought to you by thegogiver.com. Visit www.thegogiver.com and get our free special report, Endless Prospects, The Go-Giver Way. That's thegogiver.com. Stop on by. Thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, I'm Bob Bird. Make it a great day.